Welcome to the Cedar Creek Church Podcast, where we share stories of life change and inspire you to take a next step in your own faith journey, to discover your purpose, and honor God with your life. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us on the Cedar Creek Church Podcast. We are right in the middle now of our Keeping Hope in Mind message series, and it's been really great. We are coming off a Sunday with a special guest, Leslie Addison, a licensed professional counselor. She specializes in children and adolescents. Today on the podcast, we have Leslie joining us as well. Hi, Hi Leslie. <laughs> hey, Leslie. <laughs> as well as Bianca Otterbein. She's our director of care and counseling at Cedar Creek Church. She's a licensed professional counselor, a licensed professional counselor supervisor, and is certified as a master addictions counselor and an advanced alcohol and drug counselor. Hi, Bianca. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And of course, we have Pastor Philip. Hey, Sam. I had uh, Leslie and Bianca join me today because this is an intervention for you. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I knew it'd take two professional counselors. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we will will get into some of that in the podcast today. (laughs) Yeah, it's great to have y'all. Thank y'all. Looking forward to the conversation. So on Sunday, we heard from you and Leslie, and one of my favorite parts of the message was the the segment where you you tried to explain some identifiers between normal adolescent behavior and what might be a sign or symptom of a mental health challenge. Yeah, because you know uh, some of those uh, symptoms or signs can can be similar, and so um, Leslie shared a little bit about that. Um, Leslie, kind of, you know, from a parent's standpoint, you're just kind of like, oh, so um, let's dig a little deeper into that. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's really important to remember that kids and teenagers are developing. And as they develop, they are going through emotional changes, physical changes. And so, yes, there is going to be normal mood disturbance. There's going to be normal times when kids are being a little bit more with their attitude or things like that. Um, but I loved what you said on Sunday, Philip, and I love when uh, Terry says it, and it's the the three L's. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, live, <laughs> laugh, love, and learn. The four L's. Yes. The four L's. Yeah. It was four L's. And so if those four things are being disrupted, and so, okay, is it normal for my teenager um, who has played soccer their whole life to maybe not want to play soccer all of a sudden? Okay, so I would say, yes, that's normal teenage development that sometimes their interest changes. But what would not be normal and what would maybe be a red flag that there's something going on with their mood is if they're not only pulling away from soccer, but they're pulling away from all the friends that they have. They're pulling away from family activities that they've always enjoyed. They're pulling away from that youth group at church that they have liked being a part of up until now. So if they're losing interest in everything or big things in their life, and it's not just one thing. It's not just, oh, I've outgrown soccer or it's not fun anymore um, because it's become this huge competition with every weekend I'm on travel, you know, soccer. Um, I think that it's when we're noticing that whatever is going on is really affecting. Again, with the attitude thing, I had a very good friend that talked to me about her daughter and how every morning it was like waking the tiger when they woke (laughs) her up for school. And, um, you know, they joke, don't poke the bear. And so they, you know, tiptoe around her in the mornings, they get her in the car for school. 
But when they were having discussions with teachers and coaches and other people that were around their daughter, they were like, oh my gosh, your daughter has the best attitude. She's so easy to work with. So again, it wasn't affecting her normal life. She was just moody with her parents in the morning when she was getting up for school. And they had to learn how to kind of address that within their home. So things that are really happening that are um, affecting your everyday life, your, your grades are drastically dropping, you know, your interest is drastically diminishing, you're, um, you're not just sad for a couple of days because you broke up with your new boyfriend, you're sad for two weeks or more. And I think that two weeks is really important to remember, not only for DSM criteria, but I think that the mental health first aid that we all encourage everyone to go and do. Um, little plug for overflow there. Um, <laughs> um, but we think that, you know, if they if things are lasting for that long and really affecting your overall mental health, that's when a parent needs to be concerned. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, I think so. And you also shared a statistic on Sunday, um, and I'm not, I'm going to get it wrong, so I'm going to let you share it, but 60% increase? Yeah, according to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, between 2007 and 2018, in the age group of 10 to 24, there has been a 60% increase in the suicide rate. 60% between 2007 and 2018. And uh, apparently, some of those statistics kind of lag behind with suicide rates. And so, um, I mean, I, I hate to even see where it's going to be, you know, that's all pre-pandemic. And so mm. this is not a – certainly the pandemic has affected mental health. And, and my very unprofessional, untrained just observation is uh, it has affected our kids, our students – probably more uh, than even us as adults. Have y'all seen that, Bianca? Yes. Yes, for sure. I mean, they're, they function off of routines. So, you know, they go to school, they have lockers, they have friendships, they have, you know, groups and, and all that. And then so COVID comes in and wipes all, all of that out for a time period. Um, and I know in some schools, obviously, they're back into, into school, but they don't have lockers. And for some kids, it's like, well, the locker is like part of my identity of going to middle school or high school. So mm-hmm. um, and, and the socialization decreased, obviously, they were all in the homes. And so that that long time period really deeply affected them um, and their adjustment to to adolescence. Yeah. yeah, I completely agree with Bianca. I I actually started my private practice March of 2020. Wow. which is crazy. Yeah. Um, I, I called all of my patients and I said, do you still want to come? <clears throat> Excuse me. And they said, absolutely. Um, but what I noticed was, you know, I was not planning on leaving my old job um, for several months and I had to quickly become a full-time therapist because of the lack of socialization, the lack of routine, the not knowing what to expect really increased anxiety a ton during the pandemic. And I think I had a strange bird's eye view with, you know, transitioning into private practice. Then um, the the other ladies that I was in private practice with at the time saw an increase in their caseload as well um, with adolescents. Well, Sam, so you've got three young children and, um, 
I just I remember uh, vaguely back in the day when our kids were young, uh, particularly just a sense of pressure in parenting. You know, we talk Sunday about Proverbs twenty two six, training up a child in the way they will go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. And you know, uh, a great proverb, uh, certainly not a promise. And we talked about what that thing meant. But I, I realized that sometimes, even as uh, Christians and as the church, we can uh, inadvertently put a tremendous pressure on parents and particularly moms that, you know, the kind of the perfect mom syndrome. So is that something you've kind of dealt with with your kids? Absolutely. Um, And I really liked getting a new perspective on that verse. I've heard that verse my whole life, and I I didn't understand it the way that you explained it on Mm -hmm. Sunday and that we should really raise our children to to benefit the way they're naturally gifted by God. So um, that was really cool to hear. But, you know, let's take Sunday morning, for example. Half the time I'm brushing my youngest hair as we're walking into church. Um, (laughs) That's just life right now. That is the season we're in. Um, And I know that our teens can be affected by social media, but moms can too. Mm. Um, (laughs) The mom who does the treat bags for every preschool party and <laughs> I'm not that mom, maybe one day, but right now that is just one more thing for me to juggle. And so they're getting a fruit snack. Yeah, yeah sometimes we don't have time for all that. And so then it, it makes us feel like, well, are we less than because oh, yeah. we're not giving mm-hmm. that to them? We're not that mom. Absolutely. So, yes, the mom guilt is real. Um, luckily, I have friends that I can commiserate with <laughs> who are in the same boat. But right now, that's just the season of life that we're in. So from uh, a standpoint of working with children and, uh, you know, you're obviously working with the parents as well in, in the therapy uh, process. So how do y'all encourage moms or, or dads that are struggling with that? Or, you know, when you have a child who struggles with a mental health challenge or diagnosis and you, you lose a child to suicide the way we did, we we wrestle with that woulda, shoulda, coulda is that constant. So what would you say to that mom or dad out there who's struggling, either just feeling like, you know, I'm messing my kids up, they're going to need therapy the rest of their life or whatever. How do, how do y'all kind of encourage parents? Or what would you say to a parent like Sam? Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the tools that I teach my kids and my teenagers is something called mindfulness which is living in the in this moment. And that's not the secular version of living in this moment. That's the, I can only control myself right here, right now. I can't control what happened last week, or I can't control what's going to happen with my kids two weeks from now or two years from now. But I can control what I'm, what I'm trying to do right now. And if what I'm trying to do is make up for the fact that I yelled five minutes ago. I can look at my kids and I can say, I'm really sorry. I don't want you to yell and I shouldn't have yelled right now. You know, that's the thing. Um, And so I think it's just realizing that we've got to model for our kids what we want to see in them. And if we want them to understand that they can't control their teachers, they can't control their peers, they can't control all these other people. I can control myself and how I'm reacting to this situation. Am I practicing stress management? Am I practicing mindfulness? Am I practicing all these things? And when I'm not, just admitting it and saying, I'm really sorry. Mom's doing the best she can. 
and um, and admitting that, you know, and again, this is going back to this um, this really extra wonderful thing we have in our life with Christ, which is I make mistakes and God forgives me and I'm asking for your forgiveness and, and letting our kids know I forgive you when you make a mistake and kind of living in that moment of grace that God grants us and teaches us and does so much of a better job of modeling for us. I want to piggyback off that. Um, as far as mindfulness and being present, that's so important, being a parent and being present. Let's not multitask. I know mm-hmm. society tells us all the time multitask and, and they glorify it like it's a good thing. But I mean, research shows we cannot effectively multitask well. Yeah. And so if I'm making dinner and my child's trying to tell me about, you know, her day or talk to me, I have to stop and say, okay, I really want to hear what you're saying, but can you give me a few minutes to finish what I'm doing so that I can really be present and hear you? Because they, I mean, kids are resilient. They really are. Um, But we have to take the time to to be with them, be present, um, and take an interest in in what's going on in their lives, I think. Completely. And and also, I've caught myself, I'm— I'm not multitasking, but I might be scrolling. Ah. My phone is in my hand and I'm trying to listen and also, uh uh-huh, yep, yep. I'm so (laughs) glad you had a good day at school. So I've really had to be mindful of what I'm doing in the moment, whether it's, you know, cooking dinner or on my cell phone. They see that. Oh, absolutely. They they know. And then they just stop talking Mm -hmm. and they walk away because mom's not listening. Yeah. I I actually read an article that talked about um, the three moments of a kid's life. It's the first three minutes when they wake up, the first three minutes you see them after school and the last three minutes before they go to bed. And if you can really make a point to be present, like Bianca was talking about, at least at those three times, you're really making a difference. Now, of course, if we can do it more than that. And as a parent, that, you know, not only as a therapist, but as a parent, that really spoke to me. And um, and I thought, you know what, I can do those three minutes at those three times, you know, like I can be really thoughtful about that. And then I can hopefully add a lot of other moments, like if they're tugging on my leg at dinner time or whatever. Um, I, I think that that article really helped me first three minutes in the morning, first three minutes when you pick them up and last three minutes before they go to bed. Yeah, I was just I was thinking about the passage in Deuteronomy where. God tells the nation of Israel, you know, he's given them the laws, kind of the guidelines, how they should live as his children. And and he describes how they are to teach them, write them on your own, teach them to your children as you're walking down the road, as you're going through life, because it's so much more caught than taught, right? They see, they absorb, and, you know, just sometimes just modeling, you know, as best we can. And I love what Leslie said, you know. Just confessing when you haven't, when you've blown it. There are no perfect parents. Uh, as my son Ben says uh, to Terry and I, said, the, the only thing that you did wrong was you were imperfect people who gave birth and tried to raise imperfect people, right? That's just the reality <laughs> for all of us. And, you know, um, you know, we were talking a little bit about COVID and, and that impact. Uh, and, and this, you know, it's kind of like talking about typical raising children and and their mental health and our mental health as parents. But, you know, sometimes life is more than just hard. Sometimes life is unbelievably traumatic. And when trauma happens, 
particularly at younger ages, it, it has deep impact. And so let's talk a little bit about that, uh, just about trauma and under, trying to understand that. So, so, so according to SAMHSA, the substance abuse and mental health um, or yeah, substance abuse and mental health uh, service administration, they say two thirds of um, children report at least one traumatic event by the time they're age 16. 75 percent, two thirds, right? Wow. Two thirds. So and I know um, for ACEs, um, adverse childhood experiences, I think the number for Aiken County um, is like 62 percent of adults say that they experienced at least one of the uh, ACEs growing up. And so that is domestic violence in the home, um, substance abuse in the home. One of their parents is um, incarcerated, neglect, abuse. Um, a death of of a family member. So um, I think our kids are are experiencing trauma. Absolutely. I agree. Sometimes we miss it too. Um, I mean that those are all all big events, but I think in in that little person's mind, uh, uh, what we see what we see as a minor event may be a traumatic event for them. Um, like my daughter, she her classroom flooded in the second grade. And so she completely lost her comfort zone. And so after coming back from Christmas break, she was in not a room of 20 of her closest friends and her beloved teacher. She was in a room of 40 kids. And it really rocked her world. And so it wasn't the death of a family member or anything like that. But I think in her world, that was seriously traumatic for her. And and she had some reactions to it. And I was even asking friends, like, what do I do? Is it time to call a counselor? But... Um, she, I mean, we got through it, but I think that's important, too, for parents to know that it may not be the big labeled things. So mm-hmm. how, do, how would y'all, uh, Leslie and Bianca, uh, from a uh, counseling standpoint, uh, what would you say to parents, you know, for those sorts of traumas that are traumatic? You know, as my daddy used to say, it may be puppy love, but it's real to the puppy. So, you know. Uh, from that situation all the way up to significant trauma. Let's talk talk to us a little bit about that. So I'm I've been trained in TFCBT, tra- mm-hmm. trauma focused cognitive behavioral therapy, and so it's a it's an evidence based model that that we take the kids through, um, and and we see the kids and and also the parents um, in in sessions so that we can teach the parents basically what we're teaching the kids. And so the first part of the model is doing relaxation skills and recognizing emotions and coping skills, recognizing thoughts and being able to change your thoughts. Because a lot of times with trauma, it's thoughts of guilt. You know, I did something, I caused this. And so being able to get in there and figure out what what the exact thought is that leads to their feeling of guilt and changing that thought to a more accurate thought. And so going through that, and that can help anybody in therapy. Um, I do a lot of that with the kids. Oh, yeah. Um, but then what makes it special is, is going into that trauma narrative and repeating that, that trauma um, to, to that trusted person, the, the counselor, over and over. It's kind of like exposure therapy, and it desensitizes you. And so um, think of it, I've seen this metaphor before, it, the linen closet that has towels just shoved in in, in places um, unfolded, just shoved in. And every time you walk by the linen closet, the door pops open and all the stuff falls out. That's kind of like trauma, mm-hmm. especially for kids. You know, they're they're experiencing all these triggers that come out of nowhere. 
um, the door flies open and, and the triggers come. And so with TFCBT, what you do is you take out all the contents from the closet, look at and examine all of the contents, fold it back nice and neatly, put it back in the closet so that you can choose when to open that door, take those trauma reminders out safely without your body automatically going into shutdown mode. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know. (laughs) I know. I don't even know what to say to that. That's really good. But I I mean, Um, I I would imagine like on a, like a micro level, like a, a, what would seem smaller to us as adults, but, but probably some of those same principles, right? Like talk about it. um, Anything like that? think would be that's that's one of the things that i start noticing is even before sometimes we get into the really good work just even the intake session because we've all sat in a room and acknowledged that there was a problem and we've all kind of said hey this can get better the parents will come back and they'll be like she was really good the last two weeks you know like or he was really you know he really had a great two weeks and It's almost like a placebo effect, but not really, because it's just that everybody acknowledged the pink elephant in the room. They started talking about it more. They were comforted in the fact that, oh, other people have dealt with these kind of things and it does get better. So sometimes it's just about the parents beginning to have open dialogue with their kids. And I think some people are nervous because they'll say, we've never talked about this because we didn't want to upset them. And I'm like, no, we need to talk about it. You know, they're already upset. Let's talk about it. You know, they're they're already struggling with it. So um, just that freedom of being able to, it's okay to be open about this. Another point you had on Sunday was healthy boundaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize the value for the children on on healthy boundaries, making sure that they know what their safe space is. Yeah, you know, it's... Um, all good relationships need healthy boundaries, clearly defined. Um, and I guess what I kind of learned over the years of trying to parent, actually like being Terry's assistant to the parent uh, with our kids, was there is security for our children in knowing where the real boundaries are, not the stated. It's the one where there are consequences if I cross it, right? And so, you know, we think, but the same way God kind of does us, it gives us that safe, those guardrails, right? And there's safety in that. And then to me, I think it just, it gives people security. And I think it certainly gives children security to kind of really know, right? Because... For a child, as Leslie said in the beginning of this, they're in a constant state of growth and development and, and being formed. So, so much of their experiences are just kind of like the linen closets, you know? It's just, and so having just some clear understanding of, of what are the boundaries. And then as they get older, old enough to explain to them why mm-hmm. that it is an expression of love, it's protective. Uh, but it's hard to keep those bound. That's why, I mean, I, I try to encourage parents, are you sure that's where you want to set them on some of these things? Because you right. don't set them if you're not going to enforce them. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, I think on Sunday, I think I said, but um, 
our kids have 50 friends and I have parents that sometimes come in and they say, well, I want to be my child's best friend. And I say, they have 50 friends. (laughs) They have two parents. They have a mom and a dad and they need you to be that. You can be a friendly parent that is involved in their life and supportive and loving. And I hope I hope that we're striving to be that. But you're not their best friend. They've got peers for that. Um, We have a role in their life to play, and that is to set structure and boundaries and to enforce that in a loving way. Um, And so I I think that's really, really important for parents to know. You said a mom and a dad, and it kind of triggered a thought. Um, On Sunday, we talked about the value of having trusted adults in your child's life. So what happens if you're a single parent? What would you say to the single parent who's walking this this life with their child it's hard it's really hard (laughs) and that um you're not alone and that it's a, a a really difficult struggle and um and that you know you do have to sometimes wear two hats and that's difficult um but i do think that that's where it's great to have things like a a great church family where you can reach out if you need some support from someone or um, having a really great um, sports coach that you can reach out to or, um, you know, or even the the support groups that we have in town, you know, NAMI, um, if your child is having mental health issues is a good one and you're going to be surrounded by other parents that are having similar issues or the overflow group that meets once a month, um, just different things like that. So, it, you know, there's no magic tool to say, but it is, I mean, acknowledging that that is a difficult role and that you do the best that you can, you know, that you don't put unrealistic expectations on yourself as a parent, but you also say, I'm still going to parent to the best of my ability and I'm not going to allow them to cross these boundaries just because I'm a single parent. It truly takes a village. I I mean, Mm -hmm. and, and hopefully parents are reaching out to other people taking advantage of the resources. I think probably now, now I didn't grow up in, in Mayberry days, <laughs> but I mean, it just, I mean, it's so often I wish, I, I say all the time, I wish I lived in Mayberry, you know, mm-hmm. like there, there was community, you knew your neighbors. And I think as, as the years go on, we know our neighbors less and less. We're not outside playing. The kids can't just run off on their bikes anymore. And so it truly, it takes more effort in reaching out and, and asking for that village for help. But, I mean, everybody needs self-care. The parents can't be, I mean, we talked about that time, spending time with the kids, but they also self-care. You also have to take a moment for yourself. And so whatever that looks like is really important. Yeah, that's one of the things I say to myself and try to encourage others. Self-care is ministry, right? Because we're here for the long haul. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And so... Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and spending time with the Father, sometimes just getting away from the needs of the people. And so, you know, as a pastor, I, you know, I encourage, uh, try to challenge myself and encourage other pastors and ministry leaders, but also just parents to, you know, make that time and invest intentionally in relationships with others that are going to be that caring other adult in the life of your kids. Whether you're a two-parent home or a one-parent home, mm-hmm. kids need that. And particularly as they move into those adolescent years, 
there are things that they are never going to share with you as a parent that they may open up and and share with a caring adult. And so, so important to be connected to a church family, right? And so, you know, you have these small group leaders or kids worship leaders or center point leaders, folks that are there that are called and want to invest. And I think it's also a challenge to all of us um, to think about investing in the next generation. What would that look like? Maybe God's calling you to serve in the children's ministry at your church or calling you to serve in the student ministry at your church to invest. Because uh, it does. It takes all. God designed the church to be a family. And uh, that's a great place to get it. Well, there are so many good things discussed today. I love Leslie's uh, three-minute rule. I'm definitely taking that yes. one and putting it into action. Um, and then the linen closet example. That just clicked with mm-hmm. me, and I hope it clicked with our listeners. Um, so that's today's episode with Leslie and Bianca. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your knowledge. I feel so blessed that I got to sit around the table with these professionals. And um, if you're thinking you wish you had that opportunity as well, you do. Um, May 7th, we will have a Q&A session for the next gen mental health. And Leslie Addison is gonna join us again, as well as author Sarah Robinson. She's an author and a speaker, and I really cannot wait to hear from her. So if you're interested, again, that's May 7th at 4 p.m. at the Cedar Creek Church Banks Mill campus. And I hope that you'll join us for the next Cedar Creek Church podcast in one week. Thanks.